podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Celtic Exchange, a fresh insight on Celtic Football Club. This is the Celtic Exchange Weekly. This is Tino and this week I'm joined by James and Brido as we cover all things Celtic. At time of recording, we're still 19 days away from the return of competitive Celtic action. But as always, there's still plenty to cover as the club continue to kick on with plans off the field to support Ange's continued improvement of the squad. James, no on-field action for Celtic over the last seven days, but what's been your moment of the week? Just to see uh, Kobayashi um, confirmed so early. It's, it's just another mark of the, the changes at Celtic under Michael Nicholson, under Ange Postacoglu. You know, scrambling about 28th, 29th of January, that just seems to be such a distant memory. It's not how we do our business anymore. So to get that on board and then, you know, to see what else, obviously we've been hearing about right backs and stuff like that. It sounds like there's work we've done in the background on Juranovic's situation with mm. such advanced talks for others. But just that that general um, impetus from the recruitment team is great to see. Yeah. Just for anyone that doesn't know, Celtic's January window now starts on the 23rd of November. Yeah, that's when we decide to do our business, Brido. So that's the way Celtic seem to have handled things in the last couple of windows. What about yourself? Obviously, a return to the hot seat, hot seat for you after a, a sparkling debut last week. What's been your moment of the week? Great to be back, first of all. Um, my moment of the week would be, obviously, the lack of Celtic games, but we managed to see perhaps a new right-back coming in and perhaps a right-back leaving, competing against each other um, when Canada faced Croatia. So it was quite a... It created a, more of an interest than what I've been interested in some of the games uh, during the World Cup. And uh, it was an interesting watch, watching uh, both of them kind of going at it. Uh, some good points and bad points for both, but... It was interesting. Yeah, and we'll get into it in a bit more detail. So you're talking about Alistair Johnson, who's a right-back for Canada, who it seems imminent uh, in terms of him being confirmed as Celtic's second January signing, and he was up against Juranovic's Croatia. So um, an interesting matchup, and we'll get into a lot more detail just shortly. Uh, I'll give you the quick run-through for what we've got coming up on this week's show. So first off, we'll take a look at the latest headlines in the world of Celtic. We'll then bring you the latest instalment of the Mystery Cell, as I challenge the lads here to name this week's Mystery Player. Note, James, that it's now 4-3 on the scoreboard. It's all going a bit tight there at not, the top. Not 7-0. Not 7-0. No, very, no. very tense. Uh, beyond that, we'll then look at this week's big topic as Ange Postacoglu switches his focus to Celtic's defence as part of the ongoing evolution of the team. And finally, we'll pick out something which we think you'll enjoy from Celtic Media this week. OK, so let's get started with the latest headlines. On Saturday, a statue of Celtic's greatest ever captain, Billy McNeil, was unveiled in his hometown of Bells Hill. It's the result of three years of hard work by the Billy McNeil Commemoration Committee, with the sculpture by John McKenna, depicting Billy leading out the team in Lisbon some 55 years ago. John McKenna also sculpted the statues of Billy McNeil and Jockstein that we see at Celtic Park today, so a uh, renowned sculptor. And Billy's wife, Liz McNeil, was there, along with members of the McNeil family, and Celtic figures such as John Clark, Danny McGrain, Tom Boyd and Chief Exec Michael Nicholson. James, a fitting tribute to one of Celtic's greatest heroes. Absolutely. And, you know, real plaudits to the guys who put in all the time and effort for the, the fundraising. Um, and to get it in such a prominent location, you know, in Billy's hometown is, is fantastic. I suppose special mention as well to to ex-Rangers players that came to see um, Willie Henderson, John Gregg, I think which shows you the, the respect that well, he commanded across the football world, particularly in Scotland. And I know he was you know, close with both those guys in his playing days. So um, I thought that was a nice touch itself. Yeah, I thought it was great. You're absolutely right. So former Rangers captain John Gregg was there and Willie Henderson. Willie Henderson was often compared to, to Jinky over the years. And I think the quote is that 
Willie Henderson says, listen, I was a good player, but I couldn't lace Jinky's boots. And I think there's a lot of mutual respect between players of that age and it was good to see. Uh, Brad, did you catch much of that news over the weekend? Yeah, I did, yeah. And it's uh, just kind of echoing what the big man said there. It's Players of that era um, seem to just have this class about them. And legends get flung around, or the, the word legend gets flung around far too often for me. Um, and I don't think there's any bigger legend than, than Billy McNeil. And I'm sure... Rangers fans might say the same, but the likes of John Gregg and Willie Henderson. So the fact that they were there um, alongside the rest of the kind of party celebrating um, the, the statue being unveiled, I think it speaks volumes for, for, for not only Billy McNeil, but the people that turned up. Yeah, yeah, it was great to see, and there's plenty of footage online online if anyone wants to check that out. Um, second big bit of news, and James touched on at the start, so Yuki Kobayashi has been confirmed as Celtic's first January signing. Uh, he's a centre-half coming in from... Vsel Kobe, which was Kyogo's former side. What we'll do, I won't dwell on this too much at this moment in time. Obviously, great to get the business done early, but we will cover this one in a bit more detail. But as you said, James, it's a real sign of intent, isn't it? Yeah, you know, I would say it's possibly bad news for Stephen Welsh um, or Maurice Jens, but I think we will sign Jens, so my gut feel is it's, it's for Welsh, um, which is disappointing. But if we have then... You know, uh, Carter Vickers, Starfelt, Jens and Kobayashi. That's what Ange wants is for, can pick any two of you for a team and we're not degrading the quality at all. And I mean, that is no disrespect to Stephen Welsh. It's just that development hasn't hasn't quite kicked on. And if he does leave, I wish him all the very best in the future. But I think it's a great signing and a great mark of intent, yeah. I think so. And as I say, we'll cover it in quite a bit of detail just shortly. Um, and finally, in World Cup news, it's been mixed fortunes for the Celtic players at the tournament. So Dyson Maeda is Japan. Juranovic is Croatia, Aaron Moyes Australia and Cameron Carter-Vickers USA all still have a decent chance of progressing as we head into the final group games. Maeda played his part as Japan beat Germany. James, you'll be delighted that Moy put in a man of the match display against Tunisia and Juranovic got an assist in Croatia's 4-1 win over Canada. Unfortunately for Carter-Vickers, he's yet to feature for the USA and I don't know, maybe they're keeping him for the, the knockout stages, Brido. Um, but have you been keeping an eye on the Celtic boys in general out there? Yes, I have. Um, and I think we touched on it last week. I didn't think that Carter Vickers would feature that much um, uh, for America. But, you know, the other boys have done reasonably well in the games that they've played. So um, it's as long as they don't come back with any injuries. That's <laughs> But if they put in the performances that they're doing, um, they'll improve from these tournaments as well. They'll come back better players. Um, all right, Juranovic might come back and not be your player, but... You know, they're going to come back better for it, even if, for example, Carter Vickers, who won't play that much, he will come back more experienced than he, than he left. So, yeah, um, it's, it's great to see them in there. I wish they had more, to be honest, but maybe in a few years we will. Do you, do you think it's strange when you watch that uh, first Japan-Germany game mm -hmm. and you've got Maeda playing up as an out-and-out striker and they've left the guy who keeps Maeda out of that position for Celtic, who is an out-and-out striker, it was quite strange, you know, and, and they changed the way they played in the second half and they got results from that, but it was a real kind of tough shift for me, I thought, that first half. Sometimes it's very hard to to get a read on international managers and why they, they favour some players over another. You know, there's some guys that you can clearly see are talents and and obviously we're biased towards Kyogo and, and Hatati who haven't travelled, but yeah, I mean, I, I watched their second game. Um, who was it against Iran? No, no, no. They got beat Japan. They played uh, Saudis. Costa Rica. Costa Rica. We're right on the ball here, aren't we? Oh, no, aye. Uh, we're so sharp. There's too many games. <laughs> so, so sharp and insightful. Costa Rica. Um, but I watched most of that game. That was early bells there on Sunday. 
And Japan just looked devoid of ideas. And I thought, mm, if only they had a creative midfielder and a top striker, they could help them. It, it, it seems very obvious to us, but why wouldn't you take a couple of guys like that? The, the two games that they played are essentially two completely different games. The first game, they know they're not going to get a lot of the ball. Hence, probably why Maida starts. He, he ran his legs into the ground, and I think after about 63 minutes, he get taken off. It's quite similar to what happens at Celtic Park at times. Uh, the second game, they might have picked perhaps more uh, culturally gifted players more technical players than him because they would have had more of the ball which is exactly how the game panned out ultimately though they didn't have enough quality or creativity which we're all kind of scratching our heads watching that saying Riho Tate I was specifically watching the middle of the park and there was one boy um, in there I can't remember his name now um, number 8 I think he was absolutely hopeless during the game I mean I'd, I'd have hooked him at half time uh, I think the commentator said that a couple of times. So to not be in the squad at all, I just can't. I just don't get that. Kyogo, I can maybe understand if they have got different types of players. They may, may not expect to play a, a, a type of game. And the guy that came on for me in the first game looks as if he's that type of player. Um, but the two games completely different. I could see why Maida played the first and not the second. But I can't for the life of me work out why Rio Hatati is not in that squad. Yeah, I think it's puzzling. Even if <clears throat> if you don't feel he's quite right just now, he's the kind of guy that will be the future of Japanese football. He's, what is he, 24, just turned 25 actually last week. You'd like to think you would get him in and around that type of squad to to further develop him because you could certainly see him playing a huge part in what they do in the next few years. Uh, James Aaron, man of the match, Moy, just continues to prove the doubters wrong. Let's just be clear here. <laughs> I'll never have any problem with any Celtic player that pulls on the jersey I always want him to do well I will reserve the right to uh, pass my judgement of what I think of that player and how they fit in the, the, the team I will never want him to do well for Celtic and internationally um, I think Moy is a gifted player talented player uh, particularly technically um, and he was a real leader there you know for Australia so man of the match no doubt that doesn't change that he's a slow player. There was one, about 75, 80 minutes, and he did really well to get get away. And then he looked at the whole pitch in front of him and went, nah, not for me. Because it's just, just not for him. Um, there's, there's age isn't on his side there, and he's not the fastest. I just don't think he fits into an Ange style of football. Same as uh, DT. It's just unfortunate. But delighted for him, yeah. Sounds it. Um I think I it's it was quite uh, effusive, my praise there. I, th- I thought he had a great game, I really did. And you're right, listen, he's never going to, you, you mentioned Maeda there, but he's never going to close a goalie down the way Maeda does. I, I know the incident you're talking about, he got the ball on the left-hand side, the whole pitch was in front of him <laughs> and he thought, I'm going back the way here. I'm, I'm, I'm not hitting that space. But some of the the play he had in terms of linking up with his other players, dropping the shoulder, very, very composed. I thought it was really, really impressive. And actually, he was vying for man of the match with Harry Souter, brother of John Souter, former Celtic Boys Club, I believe, as well. Um, and I just thought he showed all his experience and, and he's such a valued part of that Australia squad. And and we know that he's not you know, a guaranteed starter for Celtic, but to Brido's point, he and hopefully the rest of the guys, they'll come back better players for the experience. This is... Uh, my second World Cup, but he'll take a real lift in confidence from from whatever party plays out there. Yeah, he definitely will, but I think he just strikes me as the kind of guy that wouldn't care anyway. Nothing faces him, good it's, or bad. It's just, no. it's like, even the way he walks, it's just, like I said, he plays like he's shopping in Tesco. Like, it's just the same one pace, pushing the trolley, saying hello to a few folk, you put can, a couple of things in the trolley, 
take it back out when you realise the price, and then away you go. Like, it's just, for me, he is... But what he does have, I think, there was a Q&A with Celtic players a few months ago when the first game, and he was like, I think they asked who the, had the best first touch, and I think he was the answer for a couple of them. So he's obviously impressing in, in training and stuff regarding that. But And also, you just trust the manager to pick the right people for the right position. Long term, I probably agree with you. I think you probably we would need to look to, to get somebody with a bit more energy and pace in that position. But while he's there, it's certainly enough for us domestically, that's for sure. Yeah, I think Angie's signed Moy to, to play a part within the squad. And I think so far he's done that. And I think he'll continue to do that, you know, for however long he's still at Celtic. The um, the other interesting kind of point you'll have seen is that Harry Kewell's out there doing some stuff with the, the Australian media. And there was a nice moment where he met up with Moy. And I think he was interviewed just in the last couple of days saying, would you potentially extend your stay uh, out in the World Cup? You've been doing a great job. Apparently he's very charismatic on the mic. And he said, absolutely not. Ange Postacoglu has given me a real opportunity. And I think, James, he wouldn't dare ask for the additional time off. <laughs> yeah, imagine. Um, no, he's picking up a lot of kind of attention out there just by being himself. He's, he was very vocal um, about the series, you know, first match, first performance, and he, he ripped the manager and you won Graham Arnold. So yep. he picked up a lot of, well, this guy's just telling the truth. And, you know, it's great to, to see that. And Aussies love that that level of honesty. I think he did get asked yesterday, today, would you ever, you know, see yourself as Aussie manager? And I think he did a bit of a, why not? Who, you know, you never know and all that kind of stuff. But no, no, he'll be back on the plane. Did he not say, do I look happy? <laughs> don't, don't ask silly questions. Is that a topical one? Um, but yeah, so, you know, good stuff. Good to see the Celtic boys out, out there at the World Cup and hopefully uh, they get some big results over the next few games. Moving on, Brido, we're going to have a look at the mystery Celtic. You got off to a flyer last week by failing miserably with your first attempt in the hot seat. Uh, James, you got the right answer, I think, but after the buzzer, I'm afraid. The, the buzzer only just got invented in the last two weeks. So the buzzer is very much a thing, but you know the guys have got to get the answer within this section of the show. And it's very much a thing that you made up. And no later. <laughs> um, well, I'll give a quick reminder of last week's mystery sale and the answer. So clue number one was, my country are playing at this year's World Cup, but I have not been selected. Clue number two, I was part of the squad who won the FIFA Under-20 World Cup in 2013, a tournament which Harry Kane and Paul Pogba played at, as well as ex-Celts, Jozo Simunovic and Diego Laxalt. And finally, I've won one league title with Celtic, one Scottish Cup and one League Cup. And I think that's the clue that got everybody because... So the answer, of course, was Chris Julian, another favourite of yours, James, if my memory oh, serves me. I've never liked him. Never <laughs> liked him. Not nothing personal, just Ad, not making a player. Adam of the list alongside Moy. Um, but because he was at Celtic during... Listen, Celtic have been so dominant the last 20-odd years. You're thinking if somebody's been at Celtic in recent years, how could they only end up with you know one league title, one Scottish, one league? And I think it's Jay's serious bad luck with injuries. Whether you rated him or not as a player, it was very unlucky at Celtic to not can I kick on so that's where we are with Chris Julian um, Paddy and Miff have both been in touch separately to say they'd have nailed that lads <laughs> just, I'm, just, I'm just saying uh, <laughs> I, and just I uh, you yeah <laughs> and uh, and just to remind you that those those lads will both be back pretty soon they've had some other commitments in recent weeks but they'll be back soon to to take their place at the top of the, the mystery Celtic table uh, are you ready Brido for your second crack at this as I'll ever be Fair enough. So, clue number one, I have 33 caps for my country and have scored nine goals. Nine goals for his country? Yeah. Salmon or something? We've done Sammy. I, 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 wouldn't, oh, I wouldn't revisit. No, I'll wait for the second clue. Nothing jumping out. I've been on the losing side in a European final. Anything? Muffin Paddy have usually given me half a dozen names by now. 
And clue number three, I made my Celtic debut in 1999 and scored in a 5-1-1 Vico Marnock. Anything coming to you? This dead air time is exactly it's what the listeners tune in for. Uh, 99. Tell you what I'll do. While the lads are having a think about this one, I want to remind listeners that we have a special Black Friday offer that runs until midnight this Friday, 2nd of December. Between now and then, new subscribers to the Celtic Exchange Plus can enjoy all of our additional Celtic content with a 50% reduction on our annual subscription, meaning a cost of just £2.50 per month for all of our extra content, including pre- and post-match shows, interviews and bonus episodes. So check that all out at the Celtic Exchange supercast.com and join the club at the Celtic Exchange Plus what are you giving me 33 caps 9 goals that's right signed in 1999 mm-hmm. what was the second clue I've been on the losing side in a European final I don't know no I'm not brought back just give me a name Harold brought back nah, nah. so it's not brought back nah. uh, that's a he won the league for his in 98 Dr. Joe a bit of Venglo signing Andy Tom nah uh, you're out you're all, you're all over the place You've had Lubo. Nah, bring your buzzer in. Okay, so I'll not reveal the answer and we'll certainly put this out in the socials. But if you do think you know the answer to this week's Mystery Celt, remember to tweet us at Celt Exchange using the Mystery Celt hashtag. Just to confirm, the score is now four each. He's have failed miserably again. Someone. So four to me, four to the... Sorry, lads. Four to, what am I calling you? Pundits? The panel? Panel. The panel. Four to me, four to the panel. So, um, yep. So if you know the answer, make sure to tweet us with that. Moving on, let's get into this week's big question. So, with the confirmed signing of Japanese centre-half Yuki Kobayashi and the imminent arrival of Canadian right-back Alistair Johnson, has Ange Postacoglu identified the improvement of the defence as a priority at this stage? James, your initial thoughts on that suggestion and do you think Ange's been concerned about what he's been seeing defensively thus far? It's it's strength and depth. Uh, well, it's two things. It's strength and depth for centre-half and it is... This is what we're going to see if someone puts their head above the parapet and isn't shown for Ange the way he needs to be. If you're gone, you're gone. And that's it. And we've seen it in Juranovic's performances all year. So it's two different things for two different positions there. I think he's seen strength and depth at centre-half isn't strong enough. And if we want to compete at the highest level, and he very much does and we very much do, then I think he's finding Welsh isn't kind of coming up to the line. So um, like I said earlier on, very you know, disappointing for Welsh if that does turn out to be the case. But... You know, football's a tough game. So I think we'll then have those four strong centre halves. Juranovic, I think it's really interesting that, you know, just that if someone has put their head up and said, you know, I'm, I'm looking for a move, you're gone. You, off you go and get that number and you're away. Whilst at the same time, they're really working hard to get that that replacement. You know, we don't know much about uh, Johnson, but you know, from what we've seen, it looks decent. So if they can get that business done, that is as clean as you like. And then I think there's more to be done uh, further up the pitch. Yeah, I think the suggestion is that they've had the conversation with Juranovic and his agent and he's not been willing to sign the new deal. And I think Celtic are, as you say, they're being very smart, very proactive because if he doesn't want to sign the new deal, that's absolutely his prerogative and that's fine. But Celtic need to say, OK, well, well what's next then? And they're clearly planning in the background. They're, they're anticipating some offers coming in for Juranovic in January. And in I the think meantime, it's already done. Yeah, you might I, be right. I think they've got it sorted. And in the meantime, it looks, you know, to all intents and purposes that Alistair Johnson's a, a done deal. I mean, in addition to Kobayashi and Johnson, in recent windows, we've also brought in Bernabe, left-back, Jens, centre-back. And you can maybe even include Segrist in terms of, you know, being part of, of what you're looking to do defensively. Brad, we all speak about Ange's attacking intent and how he approaches the game, but 
do these moves tell you that he's equally intent on shoring things up at the back? I think there's a bit of that. Yeah, I think there's a bit of that. I think with the Juranovic, um, I think he's it's not his hands forced, you know. But I think the way he conducts himself and what he's saying is, if you want to go, you can go. So I think that's just a kind of like for like. Um, so it's not necessarily strength thinking, you know. But he is a younger player than Juranovic. He's got quite a few appearances for Canada. I think he's got thirty odd appearances for a twenty four year old. That's quite pretty decent. So. You know, his stock's pretty decent, the, the, the guy, if, if and when we sign him, hopefully it's just a case of when. Uh, and Juranovic, oh, we'll sign him for £3 million, we'll make some decent money on that, and we can use that to strengthen in other areas of the park. I think with the Kubiashi, I think it's more the type of player, as opposed to um, what he's done in the game so far. Looking at YouTube clips and, uh, and how he is as a player, he very much is a defender that plays in the front foot. And uh, if you don't do that properly, you end up coming a cropper. Christopher Iyer was terrible at it. He used to dive in all the time and get done. Hopefully, there's players that do do it properly and it allows the whole team to play on the front foot. If I look at Jens and Welsh, who we have at the minute, as our kind of players out with Carter Vickers and Starfield, when they played, they don't have the confidence or the ability to play on the front foot the same way. So the whole team or the whole defender drops back five or ten yards and that makes it very, very difficult for McGregor, Hatati, O'Reilly in the middle of the park and it was no more evident than Leipzig away when we dropped back and we just gave them so much time in our half actually to pick passes out and give players like that uh, time to pick these passes out. They'll beat us. So I think we're looking at that and I think it was a, a very, very obvious weakness that we had that out with Carter, Vickers and Starfield the, the other combination was pretty weak. So I think it's more the type of player as opposed to anything that people have done wrong or anything like that. I just mm. think it's getting this young guy, and he's young as well, so... Yeah. Um, and he doesn't cost a fortune, so... Mm. That's it. Well, what I'll do, I've got the fact file on Kobayashi and on Johnson, and we'll get to that in just a minute. I would like to just look at the, the, the bigger picture in terms of just some of the stats, which maybe highlight some issues defensively at this moment in time so comparing where we're at just now with uh, last season's numbers so in the 2021-22 season over the 38 games Celtic scored 92 goals and conceded 22 so that was an average of 2.42 scored per game and 0.57 conceded this season we've obviously only played 15 games so far we've scored 50 so we're, we're doing okay there that's an average of 3.33 goals per game but we've conceded 13 which relates to 0.86 goals per game. So that's a number that is on the way up. I would caveat that with, yeah. you know what's coming. Four of, those, four of those goals are penalties. Four of those goals we've conceded are penalties that have been awarded against us since the introduction of VAR. Of those four, I would say the two against Hearts probably are penalties. Yeah, Don't have a big that. issue. The one against Dundee United, I'm not having. That's where Burnaby turned his back and got a penalty given against him. And the one against Ross County where it's... Is that Matt O'Reilly's hand? Still Poss- was in the box. Possibly outside the box. So you can bring all those factors in it, but at the end of the day, the table says we've conceded 13, and at this stage last season, we'd conceded 10. Um, U- Europe-wise, there's a similar thing going on. So Europa League last season, we played six games, obviously against lesser competition, you know, as we're all aware. Uh, we scored 13 goals in those six games, so an average of 2.17 goals a game, but we conceded 15 in six games. 15 and 6 games so that's 2.5 goals a game this season in the Champions League so Real Madrid Shakhtar Leipzig 
Played six, four, four, so also not scoring enough, which we're well aware of. So an average of 0.67 goals scored. And again, the same number, 15 goals conceded. So that's 2.5 goals per game. I would also caveat that with the fact that two of Real Madrid's goals were VAR penalties, which you can seriously debate whether they should have been goals or not. But at the end of the day, we're losing, I would say, far more goals than even Ange would like to. You know, when Ange came in at first, people were saying, get used to 4-3 football and 6-2 and 5-2 and all this kind of stuff. That's fine. But if you want to really compete at the top level, not only do you need to have the attacking intent, which Jota, Kyogo, Haksibanovic bring, you need to close the door at the back. And I would say there's definitely a need for improvement there. Yeah, I mean, you, you've said it, you know, long enough that the strikers win your games and defences win your titles. You know, it's the, you need to keep it tight at the back. I don't think it is something that Ange naturally falls to. I think it does prefer to, you know, make sure everything's going well up top. Which I think both strikers have been in sticky form this year. I think they're, they're both in better form now than they were in the, the early parts of the season. So if you're not doing up there, then you doubly need to be tight at the back. So, But as much as showing up the back, it's being able to build from the back as well. You know, mm-hmm. you know Kobe Asher looks like the kind of guy that can come out, he can pick a pass, loves a diagonal. So that kind of thing is 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 just as important to an Ange team as stopping the balls coming in. Yeah. Aside from the stats and, you know, the numbers, Brido, What's your own take on it, just anecdotally? Do you feel we're a wee bit weaker defensively this season? You know, conceding a couple more goals, you you still think there's room for improvement there? Yeah, there definitely is. But I think uh, one big factor would be the the change or the frequency of change in the back four, especially the centre-half position. Um, Carter Vickers missed a few games, a good few games, especially in Europe. Cal McGregor's not been there. Mm-hmm. Um, you're putting Matt O'Reilly who is one of our creative players and we're putting him in north and he's done okay but defensively he's not as switched on as a Callum McGregor would be defensively Greg Taylor's got better so there is improvements there as well I think when we've got our best four um, or five of the goalkeeper um, it, the stats would probably be or would reflect slightly differently um, they're two big players Carter Vickers and McGregor to, to miss as a, from a defensive unit point of view mm-hmm. I'd also factor in the the amount of missed chances and the pressure that then creates and under pressure you can see more goals so I think um, sorting that aspect out at this top of the park if you go 2 nothing up you're less likely to concede if, you're, if it's one nothing. it's bizarre it's the same game isn't it but it happens all the time just with that sheer pressure that oh wait a minute we could drop two points here and it becomes nervous so they've got to do their bit as well and I think Andrew would know that. Yeah, and I think it's very fair to mention Carter Vickers missed a number of games. McGregor's been out since that Leipzig away game. That's going to have a huge impact. They're two of our best players um, and, and there's no doubt that you're far better defensively and across the board with those two in mind. I mean, James, last season, you would certainly argue that the the strongest back four would have been Juranovic, Carter Vickers and Starfelt with Taylor at left back. Very soon, we could be looking at Alistair Johnson as your right back. Carter Vickers remains. Kobe Ashe sits alongside him and maybe Bernabe chapping the door, you know, on the left-hand side. So it's clear that, you know, as much as the back four were, were very much part of last season's success, Ange isn't resting, is he? No, um, I do think Taylor retains his place. You know, Bernabe's improving and he's, you know, he's, he's on his heels kind of thing. But I would agree with you that it just didn't make that line as dramatic. I, I wanted thought to, that. I wanted to try and make it a bit of contrast. Yeah. Mm, but, okay. <laughs> but carry on. Uh, <laughs> let that go. Um, but it's, it's, being able to swap all four of those out 
for four and they're not necessarily to be deemed as second string they're just who's playing this week who's playing in Europe who's playing next week all that stuff so it's Ange's been looking at improving the, the, the seconds since he, since he got in um, and we you know, saw last season that the gap between f- first pick and second pick was, was so vast and it's not now um, the Johnson ones will be a bit different because that wouldn't have been a planned uh, change that's just that that's shown really good um, reactions from the recruitment team that oh that's happened right well remember that guy we were talking about let's start making moves for him get the number right for your average sign that guy and, and we move so I think you know, credit for that as well but yeah um, I think consistency is a big thing for Ange but he, you know, he, he wants to see it not just from the guys who are playing week in week out but the guys combine them as well yeah but I do just the way I think in, in a football sense is that I quite like when a goalie and a back four for the most part remain unchanged. I think you can build your team on that and I don't like much dropping and changing <clears throat> Excuse me, in those areas. I, I'm all for you know the Celtics front six changing at any given time, maybe with the exception of McGregor actually when he's back and fit. But I would rather my back four were pretty settled across the piece. Yeah, and I think over the history of football, if you look at the most successful teams that we've seen across the world, they keep the back four the same. You could probably rein them all off. From like the Arsenal back four, Man United's back four, Chelsea's back four, Celtic's back four have been successful. It's like you could quite easily just rattle them. <laughs> like it's 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 not difficult because they never changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we struggled under Lennon's uh, his tenure. That I think we played something like eight players at right back across that season between the likes of Ayer, Frimpong, Maurice, Maurice uh, everything. You know, like. Uh, that's scrambling around in the dark trying to find a solution. Mm-hmm. That isn't how we do things now. Um, on the right back coming in, I really hope that it's Ralston's jersey to lose. And I think that that guy has not, you know, Johnson's going to come in and he's got to fight f- to take it off Ralston. I think Ralston deserves that right to, to say, no, this is my place. Because he's not let us down. Mm-hmm. He really hasn't. I, I can't remember <laughs> a time that he has let us down. In fact, he's done some big things for Celtic and yeah. big moments. So, I hope, he, I hope he really gets a run of games to, to show that. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I've got the fact file on, on both these players, albeit Alistair Johnson is not a Celtic player at this moment in time. So we can edit this out if this, this doesn't go a <laughs> we do one David Girola as well? Yeah. So we'll, uh, we'll take a look at Alistair Johnson. Um, first of all, James, he would be the second best Johnson to be part of Celtic squad um, if he were to join the club. So he's currently with Montreal, who play their football in the MLS. He's 24 years of age and he's a right back, as we've discussed. You're absolutely bang on, Bride, in terms of his appearances for Canada. He's got 32 caps and one goal. And the fee is believed to be in the region of £3 million, of which I've read that he'll get 10% of it. Which is nice. So there's 300 decent, grand for your, your day's work. Um, he's quoted as well. So he's obviously not confirming anything. But speaking just the other day at the World Cup, he said, it's an honour just being linked with them. To be linked with a club like Celtic is obviously something I think every footballer is excited by. It's one of the most passionate fan bases in the world. It's a club that even people who don't follow football know who it is. I'm super excited to get linked to them. But right now, the focus is just solely on the national team. Club things will get fixed out, figured out once January hits. Can I? Talking about street there, James, to be honest. Yeah, I didn't feel comfortable <laughs> reading that at all. So uh, once January hits, Brido, he's going to be our man. What do you think? Uh, you know, I'm not going to profess to know <laughs> that I knew lots about him. As soon as we heard that there was a link there, um, all eyes turned to Canada games. Now, actually, Canada is, a, is one of the nations in this World Cup are actually one of the better ones to watch. You know, they've got Alfonso Davies, who's absolutely rapid on one side. 
um, and then Johnson and the boy Buchanan I think on the other side now the games I have watched the way Canada play it kind of lets us see um, how this this player's going to be in a Celtic style team not exactly the same but they certainly play in the front foot they play with a high press they play with high energy and there was one moment in the game on Saturday night maybe or Sunday night they were playing Saturday I think he he was about 40 yards or 30 yards behind the, the left winger who was breaking away and he wasn't the fastest but very very quickly he caught up and, he, and he, he cut it off and stopped the attack so he can certainly shift that's for sure and I think in a Celtic team that is an absolute must but he didn't get his, his defensive responsibility he said I'm going to make that ground up and to be fair he did that so his passing his distribution is pretty decent his delivery into the box is pretty decent um, so we've had a wee kind of snapshot of what he he might be like in a in a, an Ange style team like Burnaby he might have to come in and take time to adapt just like Taylor and Ralston did as well you know they, they take time to adapt to the, what the manager's wanting them to do which is completely different maybe to other club managers so but he's from what I've seen he certainly looks uh, that he could come in and, and add to our squad that's for sure yeah James relating to something Bridal mentioned earlier on Coming all the way from Canada is a long way to come to be Tony Ralston's understudy. Well, if you look at, like Sprider says, what, what Ralston has done, the big moments as well as just being steady, he's reliable um, and gives you the tank every single game. So there's a lot to be learned from Tony Ralston, particularly his journey from staring at maybe even being out of football to playing first team football for Celtic. So long way to come, a lot to learn. Yeah, I think we've pretty much answered this question Bridal but whether it's Alistair Johnson or somebody else does this move spell the end of Juranovic's time at Celtic? I think so and I think it's his choice I don't think Celtic are getting rid of him because he's not been playing well or anything like that I don't th- it's, it's, he's not been playing well because he's, he's it, said that's it, it, it that's exactly it it's, it's, that's the, the motion first and then the resulting factor has been that the World Cup is coming up and you could quite clearly see this is prior to the contract talk chat that we heard it was as if something was distracting him and it looked like I'm not going for that tackle because I don't want to miss, get injured for this World Cup and it was quite, it was really, really evident to anybody that was like looking for it um, because we were trying to wonder why why is this player regressed? He's a, he was a really good player the season before. He's one of our international players. He's experienced. Um, he hit the ground running. He seemed to kind of get the club. He was a kind of favourite within the fans and for whatever reason he just, I don't know. And he's, 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 Drifted away, and I think his mind's been made up probably in the summer. Actually, he's never really kicked a ball at all this season. So he did the same at, at Legia. Um, came in for the year. Is, it's just time of life. Is he twenty seven? I think he's about that. Somebody said his head turns on a swivel. You know, the moment somebody shows interest, he, he was less than a year at Legia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you saw him at the talking about it last week, the Foundation Christmas party video and all that stuff. He, he's in it and he's having a great time and it's all stuff. And it's it's not fake, but I think he's just think, thinking. I'm 27, I need to make some moves and if these are the, the steps I'm taking, so he's, he's Legia, he's Celtic, he's Champions League, he's Europa League, great exposure and, you know, just sometimes that's that's the way football goes, you know. It's fine, yeah, it's fine, it's football and his career has generally speaking been on an upward trajectory and at 27, 28, if he feels he can get to La Liga with Atletico or, or somebody who's, in his opinion, a bigger club than then so be it. And the good thing is, Ange's primed us for this. This is exactly what he was speaking about when he he spoke at the recent AGM. He basically said, we need to be aggressive in the transfer market. And that means 
you know, the terminology we used was saying goodbye to the current heroes. You know, at some point, it'll be Juranovic and it might be Jota and it might be Kyogo. None of these guys are forever. That's just how football works. And I think what we can take comfort from is the fact that Juranovic goes, but the next Juranovic is, is waiting in the wings, whether it's Johnson or otherwise. And I think as much as he's been a great player for Celtic, you can make your peace with us if that's the, the strategy. Yeah, you know, I remember being much, much younger and players leaving, you're just devastated. Um, I just don't feel that way. I think maybe the game has changed as well, you know, where your your expectations of players for life of the, you know, James Forrest, Cal McGregor kind of guys are, are few and far between. So, yeah, I'm okay with it. Just on that, uh, just a kind of slight aside, do you remember the, the first Celtic player that broke your heart? You know, moving on, have you got anyone that jumps to mind? Remember somebody that signed and didn't sign? That's, that's got to be up there you going there um, probably like McClare probably yeah, like Brian McClare do you know Muff says that I yeah. think Muff was gutted when Brian McClare moved on anyone spring to mind for you Brido I think the only one not the only one but just the end of Larson man that was like nothing that was different though I, it, it, was, it was but to me it was just like wow right how do we move on from this because yeah. we won't see a player at that level ever again you just just the way the world is now, and certainly not for that time. We might get somebody just can wow us for a season or something. But at, when that happened, and then to score against us as well, I was like, oh man, could be joking. <laughs> it's like, what have I done to deserve this? But uh, I, I think that nothing nothing hurts worse than that for me. Yeah, for me it was George Cadetti. I absolutely love George Cadetti, and there was such a an issue. Thanks SFA and him joining the club in the first place and all the red tape and the, the nonsense that went on there. He obviously had that moment on his debut where he scored against Aberdeen and blew the roof off the place. And I think he stayed for, for one full season and a bit. He yeah, joined in the April. Seen out the, the rest of that season, played one full season and then he was off. And I was gutted. He was such a, a natural goal scorer and, and met, our dad talks about how he was the most natural finisher since Frank McAvenny. He was an absolute goal machine. Mm. I think he got something like 35, 36 goals. And then he was gone. Yeah. That was it. Now he's your pal on LinkedIn. That's correct. Me and, me and, uh, me and George are, are good buddies, okay. but that's a completely different story. Um, yeah, on you go. Mr. Sell. <laughs> yes, James, after the buzzer. Paducah. No, it's not Dukes. No need to so don't need to buzz that one out. <laughs> the, the, answer has, the, the answer has not yet been mentioned. Um, I've been tuned down the last 15 minutes. I'm just I noticed. dialing in here. <laughs> Yeah, in terms of Kobayashi, so just some of his figures. Um, so as mentioned, he signed from VCL Kobe, Kyogo's old side, on a five-year deal, free transfer. So very astute by Celtic being aware of that. I would suggest that's got to be a big part of Mark Lowell's remit, James, and he's obviously doing some work there to identify these kind of players. 22 years of age, left-sided centre-half, which quote-unquote remains these guys are rare to come by. Uh, he's six foot one. He's got five caps for Japan, Japan under twenties. Yet to play for the the senior team, and he becomes Celtic's fifth Japanese player of the Postecoglou era and seventh overall after Nakamura and Koki Mizuno. Remember him? Um, but certainly on paper, Brido, it seems another exciting signing, and it, it fits the model of of talented youngsters that Ange can develop. Yeah, I think so. And, and the what well, we can't have anything but confidence in what they're doing at the minute because of what we've seen in the last 18 months. Uh, and especially from the, the players that are coming for the G League, they've hit the ground, not just hit the ground running, I mean, they've just they've taken it to new levels. Um, I thought Hatate got a bit of stick last year, but it, if if you actually looked at it, he'd, been, he'd played a season and a half. 
Uh, and I think in that position, that's incredibly difficult to do. He got his rest, and then we've seen, look at the difference we've seen. He's raised at another level, I think. So, one of our best players. So, this young guy might come in. that position, it's more difficult for a younger player. They've got to come in and perhaps learn our game. Uh, but he can learn that from the likes of Starfield and Carter Vickers and play when he needs to play. But, we've, you know, we've seen Ange changing... You know the defense just just to suit a certain game as well. So mm-hmm. you make it more game than I might than I'm, what I'm thinking. But it's, yeah. it's it's great business anyway. I think. Yeah, I, I mentioned um, in an article actually that I put out last week about Angie signed 22 first team players, and there's a few that you, you would say haven't been a success, and that would be James McCarthy, Adeguchi, um Liam Skills has gone out on loan to Aberdeen. Aaron Moy. Absolutely not, Aaron Moy. <laughs> uh, and it remains to be seen where we're at with guys like Abelgard and Ben Segrist. But, you know, by and large, I think I've classed 16 of Angie's 22 signings to be a success. They've all played not just a part, a notable part in what we've done last season and, and what we've done so far this season. And I think that's a point Brad was making. Whatever Angie's doing, you know, in partnership with the, the recruitment team, you've kind of got to a point now where you just trust that they're making the right moves. Yeah, and I suppose it stands in comparison to what we've done in the last... 20 slash 135 years is to not invest in that side of the business and to take a lead a wee bit from scouts, you know, and, and agents and, and things like that rather than just being fully organised. First of all, the first thing it does is it stops you signing two, three million pound players that will never do anything for you, both in terms of performance and value. And that is the, the second part is it lets you sign guys like Juranovic that you can sign for, what, two and a half million? Yep. And punt for certainly no less than 10 probably nearer 15 so you you make money you save money you get to enjoy the football while they're there and it's just it's been a long time coming and I'm delighted to see it yeah I think the first thing Celtic's recruitment team have done is blocked Dudu Dahan's mobile number so <laughs> for those who aren't familiar he's the agent that brought um, did not bring a badder no. well he did bring a badder but he brought Beaton and Rami Gershon and a variety of other players oh, Celtic. Right, weirdly, was it not? Like so that. we'll take the uh, the the a badder one is a real success but that's enough from Dudu Dahan because that just showed that at that time Celtic very much had an, an agent led approach the agent would say I've got these players what one do you want to take off me this window now it's very much we'll decide you know using the technology available and, and the different systems we'll go and identify the players that fit Angie's system and then bring them on board in, in terms of Kobayashi I was reading an interesting article that he says um, Thomas Vermaelen played an important part in his development so ex-Arsenal and Barcelona defender and he's been out there in the last couple of years he's now retired but last couple of years spent at Kobe and he just brought his game on, and you can only learn from a guy like that as well. Yeah, he was a he was a really good defender. Um, at one stage, he would be up there with the best defenders in the English Premier League. I think at one stage when Arsenal were doing okay, uh, he seemed to just kind of he just did he not just go away in a summer and then he was seen in another strip or something. Is that him? Can't remember, but you've said yes, detail. You've certainly, certainly gone off piste. No, I think <laughs> just to remind you, I'm talking about Kobayashi as the main fact. No, I know, but I was talking about Thomas Vermaelen. <laughs> <I was laughs> like, I'm sure he just disappeared the summer and then he fell out with something and he had he was seen with some French team strip or something. I might be, I might be completely wrong. If I am, then you can sack me tomorrow. But uh, I, these, these young players will, will have to. It's good that he's saying that he's picking up things from experienced guys like that, whether they're playing or coaching. So. He'll learn a lot at Celtic as well, and hopefully, we'll get the best of him, or certainly the start of the best of him. And if he moves on, we'll make more money again. But it's not just about the money. 
No, but it, it plays a part in the model, doesn't it? You know, it, it builds and it's, it's self perpetuating. You know, it just keeps keeps feeding. Yeah, it's knowing where you are in the market. I think it's if you understand where you are in the market, then you'll know when when and who to buy at what level. Probably more importantly, picking the right time to let them go. And I think that's possibly the most important part of the model we've got. The one one big thing that Lennon got right, and Lennon got you know castigated for you know his last season at Celtic, he was dead against keeping uh, Edward and Iron and various others, and it was Law that insisted on it. Never keep an unhappy player because it just spreads. It's toxic, you know. Every player reaches a natural shelf life at any club, you know, at any stage. And I think that's the point. You've got to know. Celtic have got, I think they now realise their place in the, the hierarchy, if you like, of, of, of the, the European game or the global game. And you can move in the hierarchy. Obviously. Absolutely. You can move up and down and stay rigid. Some fans get upset at the whole thing. We're not a selling club. We're not, we're not, we're not a stepping stone at the Premier League. Yes, we are. If you want to be real about it. You know, if somebody wants to come here at 22, Kobayashi, give us two, three brilliant seasons and go to Arsenal. That's fine with me. If he comes and gives us his best and we get a few quid at the end of it, he develops. Everybody everybody wins out of that model and that's just the modern game and there's no point in getting upset about it. Listen, at times Real Madrid have to sell players, Barcelona have to sell players and name any other club you want, Man United. It's just part of the world and it's just a case of finding where you live within that structure and performing best as you can. Yeah, you know, if you've seen the Ronaldo documentary, Ronaldo 9, um, the, last couple the of years. The real Ronaldo. The, the Ronaldo, the only Ronaldo. Uh, it's outstanding, by the way, as a documentary, but couldn't believe, or couldn't remember, that he'd only spent one year at Barcelona. PSV, Barcelona, one year, and then off to Inter Milan. Mm-hmm. So are Barcelona a selling club? If, if they are, then we are. Yeah, exactly that. So from Barcelona, a Bathgate Juniors, we're all selling clubs, it's just part of the game. Um, just as we're wrapping up this section on the you know, the new recruits, Kobayashi and potentially Johnson. Do you think both might slot right into the side or do you think the fact that Andrew's signing them in a January will allow him to bed them in over the next six months or so before then stepping it up? Yeah, I think you can see uh, with Abogard, um that Andrew's model and Burnaby, Andrew's model is, you'll come in, you'll get some games, you'll get game time, um, but you won't be week in, week out. It's, last year was a wee bit different with the guys coming in in January because we needed them. We absolutely needed them. It's less acute this year, but they'll be getting game time. They'll be bled into the system. There's a lot to learn. There's a lot of you know analysis to be done from the the backroom team. So no, I think it'll be some and some. It won't be right. You're in. You, that's you. Yeah, but I know final question on this section. But do you see Ange making any further additions from a defensive point of view, or do you think he'll be quite happy now with who he has in the building? Uh, I, th- I don't think he will now. I think in the summer. I- I actually disagree. I actually think that he will... I don't think he'll take up the offer to sign Jens. I don't think he'll sign Jens. Um, time will tell, obviously. But uh, So I think there would be another addition somewhere somewhere there if that's the case. Perhaps if he does go with him, then it stays the same. And that would be your four. Uh, left back, I think, Bernabeu will have a better kind of that second season syndrome where he will settle down life in Scotland as much as playing for Celtic and the right back I think when guys are coming for places like Canada and stuff they'll probably settle in reasonably reasonably quickly I think Yeah I mean James just looking at it across the board we now have all going well with the new signings two genuine contenders for every position across that back four do you think Andrew will be happy with that? Do you think that's him done defensively at this moment in time? 
I think if you go beyond that, you start to get a bit bloated um, and it does become hard to to keep players happy. If we're rotating because there's a lot of games, there's an intensity of style, then you can keep those you know eight players happy. If that becomes even nine, it becomes really difficult. Where you're looking for the next stage of that genesis, if you like, is not next year, but the year after coming out of the, the youth setup, mm-hmm. which I think will you know start to bear fruit, but that's a you know, medium-term project rather than anything that could be happening this year or next. Yeah, I think most players could accept being a backup, but not backup to the backup. Oh, <laughs> so if you're third choice, then it's it's a long way. But it's very early days, obviously, in terms of who Celtic do go on to bring in across the, the January window. I mean, extremely early. It's November, so couldn't get any earlier. Um, but it's great to see the business been done early. And this should give any new arrivals the biggest chance possible of being successful. Do you think we'll have both of our strikers still here at the end of January? No. Jack and Mac is gone? I think so. I, I, I put it on, on record. I, I, again, I wrote an article last week and I've suggested that Jack and Marcus might I love be the big man, but closely behind Juranovic in exiting. Yeah. He um, looks like a player. He just... We said that last week that he seems to give himself a hard time and maybe if he just relaxes a wee bit. But it's like he's not happy. Like he's... Uh, and I don't think he's got any right not to be happy. Um, if he wants to be the, the main man and he's going to convince us all that he's so much better than Kyogo he guaranteed a start then he needs to show that in the biggest games possible now he's got good performances but his all-round game isn't anywhere near which perhaps maybe he thinks that it is and I think I think that kind of irks Andrew a wee bit um, when he sees things like that he's not as he's a striker he's not necessarily going to be the team player but I think it annoys him a wee bit the ball's in Jack and Max's court he's been given opportunity and he's performed relatively well got his goal in Europe against Shakhtar and, and that's great but there's other times where he's he should have been scoring and hasn't and, and that's the bottom line if you come in get your window and don't take it you don't look at Ange you don't look at the coaches just have a wee glance in the mirror and your answer's there but listen that's another conversation James for a, another show so defence was the focus for this week and as always a, an interesting chat through before we move on to the final section this week I want to quickly highlight a few of the best reviews we've recently received from some of our listeners again these are a huge help to us and are very much appreciated by everyone here on the team so first up San Fran Celtic James you'll be familiar with San Fran great guy very great guy, supportive yeah. and uh, good chat on Twitter so he says top of the table my favourite podcast I enjoy every single Single show. Thank you all. Second review is from the sizzling senor. Uh, first up, I've got to meet this guy. I, 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 I need to know the story. I, I don't know any anything of him. Don't know the background, but the sizzling senor. So there must be a story there. Known. Um, so he says, a good listen, good stuff from some genuine Celtic fans. Keep up the good work. And last one for today, Thomas McAleer of the Swindon Shamrock CSC. Very good coverage with smashing details. Keep up the tremendous work. Hail, hail. So thanks to San Fran Celtic, Thomas McAleer, and of course, the sizzling senior. Uh, and you can view these and all of our reviews at theCelticExchange.com. If you're enjoying what we do and want to provide us with that extra bit of support, then please take the 60 seconds or so to leave us a short review at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Each week here on The Weekly Show, one of the team will pick out something of interest that they've either watched, read or listened to that week in the world of Celtic media that they then recommend to our listeners. James, you've got something else for us this week that you think is worth checking out. Yeah, just, you, you know, you'll have seen, um, I think it was in Murphy's at the weekend or 
last week Martin O'Neill's doing a bit of a kind of book tour yeah pushing that so there's a couple of interviews off the back of that I've started reading his book it's very good, so good. Far. I've heard it's brilliant yeah um, yeah I'll check that out but it's just good what you get with these things as well as the book is we insights from players that played under them and you know these, these stories and stuff. Some, some you know some some you don't but also an, an insight into to the man himself and how it all worked at Celtic so I was looking at there was an interview um, like talks with Foz or something wasn't that great, but it put me on to Daryl Curry's um, Curry Club podcast. Terrible name. What, te- well, yeah, give you that. But it's also got some uh, very inconsistent titles, like uh, how Gerard won the title in Scotland. It's like I know how that happened. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not what he said. Yeah, it's you know? clickbait by Daryl uh, Curry. Anyway, so he does one on there with um, Sutton, Jackie McNamara, and uh, Stan Petrov. So you know, three great stalwarts of our time. So get, getting the insight from them to to what it was like under. Uh, Martin O'Neill Martin O'Neill and they were all very very keen to point out and John Roberts and Stevie Walford yep. they said Rob in particular was the guy that saw everything on the training pitch and made sure it was you know picked up and reacted to and they, they, they all had great respect for him um, O'Neill himself it was very very deliberate you could see that in his signings that he was looking for strong characters which you know you have, you have to see Angie's done as well we were looking a couple of years ago at the squad going who's my captain and it was it's pretty tough, pretty hard to come by. There was captains all over that O'Neill team. You know, Mialbe, Baldy, Sutton, Larson's captain sometimes, Jackie McNamara, Paul Lambert, take your pick. Yeah. Um, first big game, beating Rangers 6-2, so you're, you're off to a flyer. Um, just trying to think of the, any of you highlights. Sutton in particular picked out a team talk that O'Neill did at Anfield, you know, for the European uh, UEFA Cup run. Mm-hmm. And he said it was just the best he's ever heard. They, they all went out there, you know, ready to run through walls. Um, there was one thing that picked it. There was a tie-in, actually, between what we're talking about with Jackie Magnus. Jackie Magnus. Jackie Magnus. Jackie Magnus. Jackie Magnus. Jackie Magnus. <laughs> it's hard enough. Jackie Magnus. Magnus. <laughs> <laughs> he came from Greece, or did he? <laughs> um, so, how he, his attitude is at the moment, and I, I must say, big fan of Jackie Magnus and Jackie Magnus. But, Sutton, as a team player, first thing he said was he came in, spoke to Lars and said, I'm here for you, we can be a great part, we can be a great partnership. And then when Hartson comes in, Sutton was wherever I'm picked, I'll play and I'll give you absolutely everything, give you my tank. So it's that's a big difference because people look to Sutton and go, Well, you know, what do you expect from a striker? As we're saying about Jackamacus. That's what you expect from a striker. A guy of Sutton's class, you know, in terms of ability, to be able to come and play anybody he was needed in the pitch. Yeah, I think it's really interesting all those stories from that that time. As I say, I've started reading the Martin O'Neill book and, and I'll give a bit of a, a bit more detail on it once I've finished. But he speaks about how, as a manager, he's always felt his main job, he's very much the man manager. He, there's tactics and systems, of course there is, but I think that's where John Robertson and Steve Walford very much stepped in. Martin O'Neill was a classic, not really there at the training ground manager, but he absolutely shone when it came to, you know, match days and, and half-time team talks and that kind of thing. And he basically, you know, puts out at the early stage of the book that that, that was what he's seen as a real opportunity to have an, an impact on a team. Absolutely credit to John Robertson as well. A really popular guy when it's Celtic and the guy scored a, the one and goal in a European Cup final for Forest. So great character and, and still doing pretty well. There's a lad that I play football with who's uh, related to him and just a brilliant guy all round. I was going to ask you fellas, so obviously that was a, the Martin O'Neill time was a hugely successful era for the club and, you know, very enjoyable times as well. Um, but Larson aside, is there any player that you particularly liked during that Anilera? Anyone that you really got on board with and related to? Come to you first, by the 
Um, my favourite player, you mentioned because he was in that uh, podcast, was Chris Sutton. Mm-hmm. Closely followed by Neil Lennon, actually. But but for me, uh, and these are Martin O'Neill signing as well, as was Lennon. But for me, Chris Sutton was my favourite because he was, I felt he was underrated. But he was almost like deliberately underrating himself. Even if you hear him now, he's quite cocky and stuff. He plays up to it. But anywhere on the pitch, he played centre half. He played like a num- He played like a di- top of a diamond behind Hearts and, and Larson. Sometimes he took the hits to allow our flair player and our best player Larson to do what he done. He was quite humble in the part, but he was aggressive. Like he didn't give a monkey's who he was against. He would throw anybody about. So. To me, he had everything, and then he, he lobs a goalkeeper in the last minute at Celtic Rangers game. I mean, to win the game, and it's he for me, he had the lot. Um, I don't really actually remember him leaving. I just remember him not being there anymore. Just kind of disappeared. He Villa, disappeared. He? He, he, went, he went to O'Neill's Villa. Am I yeah. saying that? It went kind of badly. I mean, I think Strachan came in and he went, "Nah, not for me." Um, Typical Strachan, the one that he would just come and do what he wanted to do. Aye. But just, there was a deliberate handball and he got sent off against Rangers That's and stuff. Right, and I, I'm not even sure he came back from that. I think that might have been his, you know, one of his last games anyway. But you, you, mentioned, you mentioned, Brad, the hard work he'd done to allow Larson and others to shine. And there's no better example than than Larson's that is sensational goal where he chips uh, Kloss, is That's it? right, but yeah. Because Sutton's wrestling with, it's either Amoruso or Connerman or somebody Amoruso. like that. And he's doing all the the dirty work, you know, the, the, the messy stuff, the, the not pretty stuff to get his body in a way where he can just kind of shield it into Larson's path. After that, it's Larson genius. But without the Sutton, the Larson bit doesn't happen. No, and to be fair, it was the exact same uh, at Blackburn with Shearer. Now, Shearer's a different player to Larson. He was probably more physical, but a lot of headers and all the rest of it. But he helps them make that space because mm-hmm. he occupies, he was always occupying someone. But he had that physique, that kind of, Duncan Ferguson type aggression. Even the goal I'm just talking about, he absolutely ragdolls Frank Dubois. Ah, the chap. And then and then lobs the goalkeeper. It's like, um, so he had that deft touch. He had that creativity. He, was, he had a bit of guile. Um, he had the aggression, but he also had the understanding that I'm not as good as him and I can't do what he can do. So I will do everything I can. And that a lot of our success was around that type of attitude and I believe he was no pushover in the changing room either yeah an intelligent footballer yeah. um, if you ever get a chance to check out Sutton describing that goal yeah. uh, we'll, we'll link to it in the show notes but he basically says so I shrug off Frank De Boer 103 caps for <laughs> Holland all that stuff I look up 93rd minute close off he's like all that stuff and it's That's a real bit of drama and a bit of tongue in cheek and it's brilliant and it's he, he was such a a big player first and foremost but a big character yep. as you say Bridal James what about yourself any any favourite players from that thing? If there's so many stand out you're you know Baldy Mialbi Valharn was a great player as well um, Hartson uh, but I, I can't see past Sutton really can't oh really yeah absolutely not Just often the the fellas in the show agree, agree. It's, it's, it's the Celtic exchange the That's Celtic it. agreement it's mm, a we kind of get the mystery Celtic <laughs> 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 yeah. can't can't argue with that though Sutton you know a big fan's favourite and, and also for what he's going on to do he likes a wee, a wee dig at times uh, and he's media duties what about particular games James from that era there's huge memories you know 6-2 game obviously the kind of first biggie for Martin O'Neill Boa Vista semi-final, you were there, I believe, in Portugal. Was I? So that's, that's my favourite Celtic game of all time. Oh, really? Mm. Boa Vista game? Boa Vista. Ah, talk, yeah. talk us through that moment when Larson toe-pokes it in. Oh, just ridiculous. Yeah. Um, because it was, 
it just looks like it's not going to happen. You know, was it 12 minutes to go, I think, in the clock? Was something it maybe like that? 82 minutes right. or something? Was it, it, it's, it's 82, so seven or eight minutes to go. Were beers consumed? Not as much as should have been. <laughs> I think we were, we were nervous trying to get tickets and stuff like that. We actually ended up at Celtic's Hotel getting tickets. It was it was quite a quite a journey. Yeah. Um, but we're, obviously we're in there and, and Boa Vista, they do nothing each suits them down to the grounds. They one each at home, so they're, they're through kind of thing. Um, no ball boys at all. Larson gets his goal. Ball boys everywhere. Mm. You know, there's, there's balls getting fired out. It was the first goal I've ever celebrated. You normally, obviously, you jump up. We, I've just collapsed down the way kind of thing, just with the, the tension of it all, you the know. The uh, And then just a, a fine night out in some of Porto's finest uh, line dancing clubs. <laughs> line dancing. <laughs> we, were, we, were, we were actually a line dancing club. Yeehaw. It is uh, line dancing, not, not line dancing, nothing else. I've got you. Yeah. What about you, Brido? Any line dancing memories or other? I think uh, the 6-2 games, obviously, it was probably one of the biggest games for Martin O'Neill because it just kind of set us off. It was a marker we set to say to the arrivals that, oh, by the way, we're not just catching up, we're absolutely going to demolish you and the quality we had all around that team. Um, the Juventus game, 4-3. Uh, so that's, that's a close second. It turned out to be a... Yeah. Certainly, it's like a meaningless game, but when the, the way the game went, and Sutton's the, volley, the, yeah. the quality, and then we're just talking about our best favourite player, he scores in both those games. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, another close one for what it meant at the time um, was the game away to Blackburn, um, men against boys, men against boys, and and even just the commentary and stuff for that. Yeah, like yeah. When you got back, it was like you know, and then just dinks the goalkeeper and then for something to again scored I mean <laughs> forget mm-hmm. it so for me there's a few big moments hopefully Ange still got his big moments oh, like that you know no, no doubt. Well, I hope so but O'Neill certainly left his mark uh, with that team that's for sure yeah 100% so the episode James has mentioned it's Daryl Curry very good journalist I like what he does don't like the name of his show the Curry Club but that's by the by uh, I think the episode's called The Martin O'Neill Years it's about an hour and 20 minutes something like that uh, as always we'll link to the episode in the show notes and something definitely to enjoy about a particularly successful time in the club's history can I just name check Graham and Danny that were my Portuguese line dancing partners consider it done uh, James, less than three weeks before Celtic are back to it. Your final thoughts as we start to close out this week's episode? Probably the same as I said last week, just that should get back to it. Um, you know, we had that momentum before the break and you know we want to come back and just keep that all going, get right back into the, the new year, You know, take care of the, the neighbours and kick on for the treble. It's there. Yeah, it certainly is. 19 days, not too long, Brido. So two starts in a row for you here at the Celtic Exchange. Uh, always shirt a danger. And tie. He's got a shirt and tie, tie for those watching stepped on YouTube. Up, stepped up. Um, it's always a danger that complacency may kick in, so just keep a wee eye on that. But what's your final comments for today's episode? Uh, it's difficult because we're not going to Celtic games, but um, I think mine is just hoping that the players that we've got at the World Cup keep performing well, whether they're going to qualify or not. I hope some the ones that are still able to can manage to do that. Uh, like I say, come back better players and uh, they're all rested up and then they, they just kick on under the manager's guide and start, hopefully extend the gap fairly sharp into January. 
Yeah, and I think there's every chance we're going to do that. So we'll get to all of that in a few weeks' time. So that wraps things up on another episode of the Celtic Exchange Weekly. Thanks to James and Brido for joining me today. And as always, a thanks to you for listening. If you're enjoying the show, remember to leave us a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It really makes a big difference to what we are doing. And finally, a reminder to visit the celticexchange.supercast.com between now and Friday to take full advantage of our very special Black Friday offer. But in the meantime, from myself and the team, thanks for tuning in and we'll see you again this time next week. Tell me something I don't know, Ump. Well, unlike that nasty curveball, there aren't any surprises when you finance your next car with Carvana. You get real terms personalized for you right in your strike zone. Really? Steeride! How am I supposed to focus when you're telling me about Carvana? Well, Slugger, you gotta keep your eye on the ball. Just like you can keep an eye on your customized down and monthly car payments. I can customize those? He's out and on his way to finance his next car with Carvana. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to get pre-qualified today. We'll drive you happy at Carvana. Sports Social Podcast Network.